At Russia, the threats are close to home. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Every Saturday from 3 to 6, I always talk about what I think are the most important stories of the week, not necessarily the biggest ones, the ones with the deepest implications for our future, stuff we need to watch out for, the real meaning uh, or implications of the story rather than just the spin and the narrative that you're hearing in the mainstream, uh, but not everyone has the same priorities. So sometimes the stories I pick are not the stories that everybody thinks is super important. So, for example, my mom, she calls me, she usually calls me every week and says, you know, what are you going to talk about this week? And uh, and it's funny because she she reprimands me because she says, you think everything is fake. But then when Trump, she's a huge Trump supporter, when Trump started saying everything was fake, then everything he says is fake, she says is fake. But anyway, she listens, so sorry, Mom. But it's true. I do feel a little bit um, like you favor Trump over me. Uh, But her big story of the week is the Preakness. So after this show, at 6.48 is the gate time or whatever of the Preakness, which is one of the Triple Crown races, and that's only two minutes, so you kind of maybe want to tune in at 6.47 and a half. But um, she wanted me to tell my kids, which I forgot to tell them, that the horses she bet on for them were numbers 6, 7, and 8. She didn't even know the names of them, but she says, tell them, you know, when they're watching the Preakness so they know which one to root for. So uh, I'm not sure they were planning on watching the Preakness, but um, we I'll be home by then. I will definitely... Uh, Be with them rooting for what's probably a $2 bet. Uh, So she didn't know the names, just the numbers. And uh, But while she had me on the line, she told me that there was uh, some kind of cutie running for governor in Georgia. So... (laughs) I, uh, she's, I, I didn't, she didn't know his name and I'm asked, I'm wondering who it was. And she said, I would know because he's, uh, the cute one, but it, it was a little confusing because when she calls Ron Paul, her cutie. So I feel like if you're only an 89 year old woman can call an 80 year old man, a cutie. So I was a little baffled that maybe the one I thought was cute was not the one she thought was cute. But I'm assuming it's Michael Williams, mostly because he has that kind of what certainly is a very effective PR stunt, um, the deportation bus, because it's getting news in New York. My mother lives in New York, and and he's I think he's in last place uh, on the governor's primary race for the Republicans, but... He's the one she knows because he got national press from this. So that just goes to show you uh, the value of some of these things. Um, Anyway, so we are going to talk about the Georgia elections this week. There's a primary on May 22nd across the board, a lot of races. Um, And my favorite local activist, Garland Favrito of Voter GA, Dot org uh, is going to be on the show again. I rarely have guests, but I make an exception for people who I think uh, are on you know, doing good work and can make a difference locally. 
And Garland's one of those people, and it's very relevant as elections come up because he follows election. He works for election integrity, and he follows some of this stuff very closely. And he has some really uh, interesting insights on what I think might be as important a race as the governor's race, if not more so. That's in the primary. So stay tuned. He's going to be on from 5 to 6. He's going to... Tell us uh, about that. You're going to want to hear. And also, he has a bombshell to drop about one of the GOP candidates for governor. So uh, you're definitely going to want to hear that. I know I have a lot of listeners from outside Georgia, but Garland is fascinating. You're going to want to hear. He has some real insights about elections. And uh, he's kind of changing my view i'm so cynical politically because i don't really have a lot of faith that we're even getting the people we elect i know the media influences the special interest influences who we even get to choose from but i've been doing this for six years talking talking um being cynical and and things are getting worse and nothing is changing and i kind of decided that i for one i'm going to take a more positive attitude and try to actually um Make a difference, even if it just means kicking the can down the road to protect our rights and privileges. So that's why I am uh, more and more interested in what Garland has to say, what a great resource he is for our community. Uh, And then, but there's even more important stuff, in my opinion, this week. I know Binkley thinks that the royal wedding was the most important story of the week. So, isn't that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was hoping to see the uh, queen do the chicken dance at the reception. (laughs) That would be quite a sight. She was quite festive in her lime green attire. But I have to say, I hate this stuff. I absolutely do not like anything soap opera I can't even watch Fox or CNN because I think the Russian stuff is so soap opera But when you tweeted something out, um, basically with the vomit emoji <laughs> about some of this... This royal wedding stuff, it was like it, it was like I was transported to the doctor's office and had a People magazine next to me. I just could not resist the urge to click on the link. And then there I was looking at at the at the wedding. And, I, and I've got to tell you, that dress is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It is unusually tasteful for a royal wedding. You know, the female fascination with weddings is one of society's most unexamined problems. <laughs> And they're going out of style. They're actually morphing into photo opportunities. So you do all that stuff, and then you don't actually even do the chicken dance. And you're celebrating something that has a 50% chance of ending in failure and devastating people. I think that stat is exaggerated, but I take your point. I think this particular marriage, I am not trying – I find it unlikely that it thrives. You know what people should do? The tradition should be? It's easy to get married. Anybody can get married. People should celebrate a 15-year anniversary. More than. Yes, kind of like, yes, yes. So uh, staying power. Yes. Yes, that that you don't get the party until we're sure it's going to stick. Because, like, what do you do with all the presents? You know, these people, you get China and stuff. You're going to, you get to keep it even though you duped everybody. (laughs) You failed. No, sorry. That's not right. I mean, it's a very serious matter. It does hurt people. Uh, I don't like it, and um, I I don't – I actually don't even want – I shouldn't joke about it, but I do believe that 
I maybe the royal culture and the Hollywood culture are are actually much closer than I think. It seems to me they're far apart, but actually maybe not. It seemed to be one and the same to me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I think we probably spent more time on that than <laughs> it deserves. And and it's actually very hard because the one of the other big stories which I do think has implications is a very tragic story if reports are to be believed, of the uh, shooting in Texas at a high school, Santa Fe High School in Texas. I never believe the official narratives about this stuff. I personally, uh, you know, every form of crime is going down, except for these school shootings seem to just be absolutely epidemic. And uh, 40% of the resources of this country are absorbed by the governments of this country, and they can't, prevent this they're absolutely powerless i just i don't believe the official narratives or the media reports of the details and the implications of these stories i believe it's uh part of some kind of gun control maybe operation gladio if you know what that is if you don't know what that is go to propagandareportdaily.com i think i just reposted uh one of our first and i think best episodes episode four where i talk about uh these kind of operations historically but what's what I think is um, kind of a bummer is that Rand Paul has been pretty prominent in talking about this, and he mentioned in passing that his nephew, who I guess was is, I guess it's his blood nephew, Ron Paul's grandson, was the principal of that exact school just a couple of months ago. It's in Ron Paul's district. And when Sheriff Israel was talking about the Parkland shooting, I did not hesitate to bring out that he was a coach there. His kids had recently graduated from that school. I find it fishy when people are deeply connected to these things and then end up to be the face of it. I don't like it. Bums me out as a libertarian. Um, To think that uh, Rand is cooperating with a deeper agenda, I don't like that. And what makes me really think it's a deeper agenda is that he is uh, talking about arming government agents at the schools rather than a very obvious and libertarian alternative that his father just wrote a book about called The School Revolution, where online homeschooling, especially in Texas, where you can pack heat and stop somebody at the absolute border of your property, nothing could be safer for the body and the mind of your child than homeschooling in Texas. So... I don't know why they're not talking about it. It it really bums me out. Um, there is a uh, another agenda that's coming from this, uh, the Texas school shooting that I identified coming out of the Parkland school shooting. I want to, um, let me cut to a break, then I'll tell you what that second agenda is. We'll get to a tweet from, uh, from y'all. Binkley will read it to us at Monica Perez Show. And you can call 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. So we're talking about many things, many things in the news this week. I did want to make a couple of points about the Texas shooting, although that isn't what I want to focus on um, for the rest of the show, but I wanted to point out one, that there were a couple of agendas at work here, uh, two agendas that came out of the Parkland shooting that I think are being um, served by this. One I just talked about was that uh, 
they want to put armed guards. I actually predicted at the beginning of the year that one of the top 10 things or whatever that we'd see in 2018 was like armed guards in normal places. And this is, so I was saying Rand Paul is saying, oh, we need to arm people at the school. Instead of saying homeschool your kids, which is what his father promotes is homeschooling. So that's kind of weird to me. He's playing into the dialectic. And it's a classic dialectic. So if you don't know what dialectic is, it's this idea of you have one idea, then you have an opposing idea. And uh, the real goal of the agenda of the people who put this idea and the opposing idea, the thesis and the antithesis out there, is actually what ends up being the synthesis of those two ideas, which is what they're really after. And this is the best example I've ever seen, which is gun control advocates want to disarm citizens. And then this other idea of arming, putting armed guards at schools uh, is the other side. And so what the synthesis is, is both of those things so that the gun control advocates will get some gun control legislation. And then the people who want to militarize the schools, although they don't couch it like that, that's ultimately what the result will be. It's not that they're uh they're promoting more government agents being armed. That's what you get. And that I don't think that's necessarily better. And then the other agenda item, which I talked about after Parkland tweeted about it at Monica Perez show was, um, and it was something that originated in Texas at the George W. Bush elementary school that got a wall street journal article in March for how it was surveillance. Perfect. It has no trees or bushes that might get in the way of security cameras, no doorway niches or nooks. So you literally could not pick your nose as a little kid and have it not flash across the screen of the central scrutinizer in the principal's office. It's perfect surveillance. And they're talking about having reducing all the exits to one. That, I think, is not really what they're proposing. They're just proposing it as something impossible that would be very intrusive and disruptive, and then they'll come out with saying, yes, but perfect surveillance, you don't even notice it. Let's revamp the schools like that. The governor came out immediately after the shooting and said, we need to restructure every single one of these existing schools according to our new plans. I I just smell a rat up and down with that, from cronyistic spending to total surveillance Um, Kind of the choice between the exits and the surveillance is like withholding tax. They can charge you a lot more in taxes if they know that that you won't notice it, if you don't have to write the check. So if you don't have to pass through the metal detector, people aren't going to care as much for total audio and visual surveillance at all times. That is what I think... um, you know, those are the agenda items I see rolling out. We're going to switch uh, topics and talk about uh, the big news on the Russia investigation after the break. Give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Maybe something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. And uh, we were hitting some of the biggest stories of the week, one, two, three, before the break. But I want to change gears a little bit uh, and talk about the Russia stuff. What came out this week, the Senate Intelligence Committee confirms what I thought was a totally flimsy intelligence agency uh what do you call it, like consensus that Russia 
deliberately interfered with our elections and all this kind of stuff. I generally dismiss that stuff as partisanship and divisiveness, a way to delegitimize the president and create more conflict between Democrat voters and Republican voters and distract them from the fact that our rights and privileges are being stripped away uh, and and the mainstream media barely covers it. It's just the activists are never the the activists that are getting 24 seven coverage on CNN aren't Fifth Amendment activists. You know, they're not civil liberties activists, which is supposedly something from the left. They're not anti-war activists, which is supposedly something from the left. So I consider all this stuff contrived, but I have to say Binkley really um, dug a little deeper, peeled the onion for me on that. But let's button up our the last couple of issues we were talking about and um, launch into this one. Binkley, my producer, who provides so much of this great research um, and also technical stuff and reads my tweets. So tell me, uh, Binkley, if you've got some tweets for us. I do. I have a tweet from JJ who tweets, That is a unpleasant thought about Rand Paul, but it only matters that people – it only matters if people follow the personality instead of the principle. Yeah, JJ is talking about um, before the break I said uh, I thought it was weird in the Texas shooting that Rand Paul's nephew had been the principal of that school up until a few months ago. And that Rand Paul himself, instead of promoting uh, what's an obvious solution and derives directly from his father's book, The School Revolution, would be to encourage people to bring their kids home and do online homeschooling and protect them yourself. Don't send them to the public schools as a, a and and protect both their bodies and their minds. And I just I'm. Uh, I'm so disappointed that he's taking that position that I'm actually uh, feel like he's serving a, you know, deeper agenda. And uh, it bums me out because I love his dad. (laughs) I interviewed his dad. Um, I also mentioned earlier my mom calls Ron Paul her cutie, you know, so I feel like uh, my dad used to contribute to him. My father had nine kids, was a truck driver, used to send money to Texas to Ron Paul on his congressional bids, just as somebody to put somebody in Congress who defended the Bill of Rights. Um, but I don't want to get back into that stuff. Let's uh, let's keep going. What else you got, Bing? I have one from Mateo who tweets, even ESPN is showing athletes and coaches saying that we have to do something about guns. There's no escaping the gun control agenda, it seems. Yeah, whereas um, they're fishing a barrel in public schools. Take them out of the public schools. Why isn't it a public school, you know, an anti-public school agenda? Why isn't that what the right is picking up on? Instead of arm more government agents, you know, I mean, yeah. that's not that's not certainly not a libertarian viewpoint. Uh, all right. Um, so if you want to hear a little bit of that discussion, we always post the commercial-free podcast of uh, our own podcast and the WSB show at propagandareportdaily.com after maybe a couple of days when it comes up on WSB. Um, and Binkley, why don't you, there was one tweet I saw after we did our last podcast that I think will help us, um, introduce the new topic. We got a tweet from Nate who tweeted, in my opinion, that's the best podcast episode you guys have made to date. 
that was the most cogent argument on the topic I've heard, and he's referring to the topic about the Russia investigation and the whole Russian interference. All right. Um, I want to take a quick call, and then we'll get to that. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Larry in Atlanta. Hi, Larry. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Uh, I heard you mention the intelligence report. Yep. I completely dismissed it as soon as I read the three of the people they relied on for information to come to this conclusion were Comey, Clapper, and Brennan. Oh, yeah. There are, are they not all known liars? <laughs> exactly. I don't know why. I, as soon as I read that in the paragraph, I quit reading the story. Yeah, that's how I view uh, – thank you very much for the call, Larry. That's how I view the um, this all the coverage of this. But when – as just – a bunch of partisan smoke and mirrors, milking it for ratings, uh, creating divisiveness on topics that that don't divide left and right. I mean, it's just it's not a policy topic and delegitimizing the president president based on that is so much less effective. It's really a time waster, energy waster than it would be if we actually looked at the policies that we agreed with across uh States on the federal level, you don't. You can even have your liberal California, conservative Alabama. You just we can we can join together and defend the Tenth Amendment, and then nobody even has to secede, uh, like California wants to. Um, so Binkley, why don't you, you know, but but what you pointed out to me is that that this Russia thing, yes, perhaps it serves that agenda. I think for sure it does, but it serves another agenda. How do you want to? Uh, I loved what the clips you played for me and how you explained it on the podcast. What um, bring it? Okay, as you said a moment ago, history teaches us that countries all over the world conduct propaganda against other countries and try to influence the elections of other countries. This isn't new. It also teaches us that we've been conned before by focusing on the wrong country that's propagandizing us, and. With that said, I found it odd – I've always found it odd that we've only focused on Russia when it comes to who's behind election interference or or whatever is going on, especially when there is a guy named Sir Alexander Wood who is a member of the Chatham House and what I believe is called – also called the International – it's the International Chatham House is the royal – Institute for International Affairs. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of the most powerful think tanks. That's a CFR. That's the parent and the sister, <laughs> yeah. or the sister of this of CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, Stacey Abrams' uh, organization. Exactly. So Sir Andrew Wood played a major role in the Russian dossier thing, and the more you look into it, oh, so this is a an agent of a foreign government, yeah. England influencing our uh, voter perceptions through propaganda and information, true or uh, true or false. Like, they don't even say that the information is false, but that's what you're... So now you're telling me is you have evidence that England is actually for sure doing what this year-and-a-half-long Russia investigation is supposed to be doing about Russia. It appears they've been conducting a PSYOP towards Russia for the past... Two and a half, three years, perhaps longer. Against Russia in the United States. Yes. 
Or in the world. In, in the in world, the but also yeah. in the United States. Because okay. the United States has always been a focus of the U.K. They always have to get us aligned with them. This is historically true. And they've used propaganda time and time again to do this. So there's a there's a precedent here. And that's not to say that Russia is innocent of everything. It's to say we should investigate all of the potential actors, you know. So Sir Andrew Wood, the media talks about him like he's just a guy who just passed off the Russian dossier or who just alerted John McCain to the Russian dossier, and that's it. But he actually – he was a lot more involved with, with that. He, Sir Andrew Wood was Christopher Steele's mentor. He consulted – So Christopher Steele's dossier is yeah. the it, – it, there's just one, right? And it's the one – where uh, supposedly Donald Trump, this is the thing that makes it completely ridiculous on its face to me, that Donald Trump paid prostitutes to do filthy things um, because he hates Obama so much. And like that's literally what's in it, right? Actually yeah. even says what his motive was, I hate Obama, yeah. something like that. So every single one of those details makes me dismiss it because uh, – Donald Trump is a notorious cheapskate germaphobe. This is a guy who's not paying sex workers for sex. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think. That's my feeling. I've always felt that. You you completely exposed, if you will, Stormy Daniels as a longtime political operative. Highly unlikely that she and, – and actually she did not make the public eye because of her – of a relationship with Trump. She made it because of her – um, running for office in Florida some years ago. That's 2011. In our, that's nine. In, yeah, that's in our last show. If you have the episode, what's the episode for that? That's episode 96. That right. So, um, and that, that, and this is another lie that these people, they're always presented as having emotional problems. That's why, and that's a diversion from looking at us, looking at, what could be the rational motives behind some of these news stories? Who's interest? Qui bono? Who benefits? That's always the question you ask. Always, always, always for a crime, for a story, for a political agenda. Always ask that. And the answer seems to be increasingly, well, you can't ask that question because this guy's just crazy. So yeah. it's not about rational. It's not, It's always motiveless because the motives are clear. The motives are personal gain. And all you have to do then is investigate what the personal gain might be. Anyway, keep going. Okay, so the thing to know about Sir Andrew Wood is that he is an associate fellow of the Russia and Eurasia program at this Chatham House. Again, and- I have to say, just because the primary is coming up between the two Stacys on the Democrat side, Stacey Abrams has such a long list of internships. And one of, and one of them is about Russia and one is about East Asia. I mean, this is her crowd. Yeah. Straight up. Absolutely. Yeah. And he is mentor to Christopher Steele, as mentioned. He consulted on the dossier with Steele. He told Christopher Steele that... His only choice, the only moral choice that he has is to give the dossier to Americans, and then he arranged for John McC- – he, he sought out John McCain and had John McCain meet him at a secret meeting in Canada at an international security conference, and he told John McCain about the dossier, and he said that he would arrange for John McCain to get the dossier. So he had a very active role in the whole thing. He's an associate of Orbis, which is the firm that Fusion GPS hired to conduct the opposition research. And Fusion GPS is an American company, right? Do you happen to know? I don't know. I, I believe Fusion GPS, the purpose of using a middleman like that is that it kind of launders the interference 
by making the direct connection an American company, which yeah. makes it not anyway. But I think you we've got like another minute or whatever. Do we want to wait for the clip or you want to finish something? I can tease a clip that we're gonna play. What to really know about Wood is on top of all of that is that since at least two thousand and eight, he's been writing about how Russia is the biggest obstacle to the international order, they're the biggest threat to the international order, and they cannot be integrated into it as long as Putin is in charge. And he's been writing about ways to control Russia, essentially, for a long, long time. So that's why his role in this dossier thing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. We're going to play some clips that are very revealing about his intentions here in a moment. Okay. Uh I'm dying to hear them. I, I probably have heard them all, but I want to hear them all again. I really do, because I actually had heard them before. You had played them for me and sent them to me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. And, like, you just said something last time about it just was so clear where this all was coming from or, you know, originated. Uh, so I do want to hear it again. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are talking about so much that's going on this week. Uh, I am dying to hear what Binkley, he actually has more stuff than I've even heard about what he thinks, and I am now convinced, is really behind uh the the Russia operation, no matter which side you're on in this country, obviously there is a Russia um, propaganda operation afoot. But we did open a couple of other topics up that uh, are big this week, the Texas shooting for one thing. Um, and so I am going to take a call in this uh, and before we get back to the Russia stuff on that. Steve in Lawrenceville, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, I wanted to comment on the school shooting. Yes. And so I was working earlier today. I'm a plumber here in Atlanta. And um, uh, my customer at one point today was a Gwinnett County uh, uh, officer uh, who is works for Gwinnett County. And uh, he, he works at a school. So he's a school, what do they call those folks? Resource officer. That's it. That's it. Um, but he was saying, I, I was saying to him, I mean, it's, it's so stupid, simple. You just you restrict access. Everybody walks under a metal detector. Uh, and there's an officer there at the beginning of the first, you know, when people are coming in for that hour or whatever. And, and uh, if somebody sets it off, you have, you have wand them. And, and that's it. And then every exit and ent- every entrance is, is restricted, right? And he said, that's exactly what we already do here in Gwinnett County. Uh, he said he said uh, it's the largest uh, school system in the state of Georgia, um, like fifth in the entire United States, and all of the schools are locked down. You can't get in from outside uh, except with a video, you know, so they have on the main entrance. You can come in through there, but uh, you have to be buzzed in. And See, so but, why aren't schools doing that? Well, I, I personally, I really resent that the war on terror and now these mass shootings and prior to that the drug war are all used to get us to argue about what's the best way to search us, to surveil us. I don't like it. I don't. I believe these official narratives are spun to get these things implemented for reasons other than our safety. 
for total control, total surveillance, and I don't like it. But I love the call. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we're going to get back to the Russia stuff in a second at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, covering a... Uh, a broad range of topics today, big stories in the news. Um, but the one thing that has caught my ear, all, my attention all week, is the Senate Intelligence Report that says that it um, kind of validates the intelligence consensus that Russia tried to interfere with our elections. I kind of dismiss all that stuff. It's obviously partisan. I haven't seen evidence. It's been going on too long. It seems like it's just uh, season three of um, the campaign. You know, it started with the campaign, and it's the election, and now it's the investigation. I just feel like I'm watching The Circus, which is a Showtime show that uh, is just... It's where the lines blur between politics and Hollywood which there hardly are any lines anymore, it seems. Although, I think uh, this Russia stuff, what Binkley uncovered, the kind of background, if you go back a couple of years, it seems it seems like it's that, that, that there is a real political operation underway. Uh, only the foreign government that's interfering with our voter impressions is the United Kingdom, not Russia. Good, really interesting stuff. And, and, uh, and while we're talking about elections, I want to talk from 5 to 6. Garland Favrito from VoterGA.org is going to be on to give us some really interesting stuff about the primaries in Georgia this week. They're May 22nd. He's got uh, some thoughts on a secondary race that I think is very important. Uh, he can He's going to give you your opinion, his opinion um, on uh, all the candidates on this important uh, race. And he's also got a bombshell on one of the gubernatorial candidates. So you're going to want to hear it. I love this guy. So interesting um, and does great work. Very good research. Uh, just love it. So although I am very jealous of airtime and do not like to share it since I'm only on the weekends, and if anybody is going to get some, it's Binkley because all he does is research all week long. And um, but I but So you know if I'm sharing it. Giving it away to Garland, it's uh, because I just can't resist. And I also could not resist getting Binkley to tell me more about his um, what his an interesting connection he made about Russia that I think really unlocks the key. I love. Can you read that tweet again of uh, after the podcast last week? In my opinion, this is the best podcast you guys have made to date. The most cogent argument on the topic I've heard. Yeah, this is about um, what's really going on with the Russia story, and that was episode 97? Yes. So, But this is some of the same stuff. Obviously, it's a totally different show, but uh, let's, get, let's get it out there because we don't have as much time on the air as we do on the podcast. Uh, you were going to play us. Give us like a one-sentence recap, and then you can start playing some clips for us. We're going to be playing clips from 
panel discussion from back in June or July of 2015, and the panel discussion includes Sir Andrew Wood, who is who played a central role in the Russian dossier saga. Hold on. So the panel discussion is what? Where is it? The panel discussion is being held at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. All right, so this stuff, just so you know, I've looked into many, many, many of these organizations, foundations, and think tanks. The World Economic Forum is a great example. Uh, If you look at the Rockefeller Foundation or, I mean, these guys make these foundations and initiatives, and, I mean, even the websites look the same. The agendas are all the same. The line items are the same. It's all about what they call thinly veiled uh, world governance. Like we're not going to, oh, they call it global governance. You know, like we're not going to notice that means world government, which I now believe means world corporation. And these guys all, uh, they all kind of point in the same direction. It's usually this benign sounding, we want to help women have whatever, be green or something. And, And it all sounds very fluffy until you see what their real goals are like un habitat one points out that that one of their goals is that you have there's private property but not real property which means people can't own land that means you can never feed yourself like you absolutely have to be connected to the grid if human beings aren't allowed to own land you know that's what's underneath it and then what you're bringing out so those are the goals that you don't really see. What you're bringing out is the tactics that we don't really see. And I've been, I myself, and I know you've got tons of this, have have uncovered smoking gun after smoking gun about how they analyze and assess our psychology, our group psychology, crowd psychology, and then use propaganda to manipulate it. And that is how they have totally hijacked democracy so uh with that backdrop now these guys are at one of those think tanks these are high level operatives what what is sir andrew wood's actual oh is the first clip you're going to play his yeah it introduces who he is let's see let let me give you a quick sentence background on what the paper is about okay they're talking about it's called the russian challenge andrew wood is an author on it. It was published in June of 2015, before the whole Russian interference, before Trump, before all of that happened, this was published. And the paper outlines the rising threat of Russian authoritarian nationalism that it poses to the international order and what should be done about it. And it states very clearly that this is information war and it will be won largely on a psychological terrain. I'm going to go, I'm going to peel that onion one more layer and tell you, and and I found it on my show, show before, I could actually go back and find the recording of my show a couple of years before that. It was like an end of the year, beginning of the year show. And uh, a a big caller at the time uh, and listener, Brett, called in and said, Russia's the biggest problem. Uh Um, It was kind of around when Mitt Romney kind of threw that out there when he uh, lost that foreign policy debate against Obama, probably on purpose. And then... Um, I had also noticed, although I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I did notice and quoted, but I cannot find it now. I've looked for it. It's gone. George Soros saying, because if you recall, there was that terrible European debt crisis. George Soros said, and I was like, they have got, this is a real threat to the European project. And George Soros said, fear not. Fear not, good globalist. You will, Europe will bind together in fear of Russia. Uh, and I was like, Russia? 
Why? And uh, low. Yeah. That's, what the, that's similar themes. All right, let's go. All right, we're going to play clip 15. This is an introduction to Sir Andrew Wood, and it's very revealing about who he is. Clip 15. Sir Andrew Wood, who is Associate Fellow in the Russia and Eurasia Program uh, at Chatham House. Uh, prior to his work at Chatham House, he served as British Ambassador to Russia from 1995 to 2000 uh, and served uh, for previously as British Ambassador to Yugoslavia from 1985 to 1989. They gave you the easy assignments, clearly, <laughs> Sir Wood. Uh, but. I just like to, to break up countries. You like to break up countries. Ah, that was, that is in your resume. What's funny, though, is that, like, she's so horrified. It's so macabre that she doesn't know what to say. She, like, if she said any of, like, the first 15 adjectives that came to mind, you're a monster, I'm scared now, I didn't realize what we were really doing here. And she's like, ah, uh, yeah, I guess that is what this, uh, oh, <laughs> it's sick. He likes to break up countries. This is the guy who is a central figure in making sure America got the Russian dossier. This was 2015. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way. And, and now let's hear what Which he country believes. is he trying to break up, this one or that one? Because that's what they—that's what these people are all saying. It's not that Russia wanted Trump to win. They, he, they, Russia just wanted to blow us up. You know, like uh, emotionally. It sounds to me like they're demonstrating to the American people what a true threat Russian nationalism is by imposing it on them. Yeah, and this this is your class. I, I'm not saying this is, but the classic concept be behind a false flag, what makes it so immoral to me. False flag is when you commit an atrocity, you know, on a ship, right? running the flag of your enemy so that your people will uh, support you in your aggression towards that enemy. And my argument has always been, if your enemy isn't actually doing that stuff, you know, you, why are we're, I'm st when, when you have to make stuff up, it makes me think the enemy's never going to do that stuff or you would just wait. In which case, what's the real agenda? Exactly. And and I think the agenda with this stuff is a lot of economics. We just there was a big story about the gas pipeline uh that the US is pressuring Germany to boycott from Russia to Europe and that's behind I think both Ukraine and the Syria conflict. Let's get another right after let's take a quick break and then let's get um to the next clip. Thank you so much. Uh 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk you can tweet at me at Monica Perez show. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. All right, Finkley. Let's get to it. We were just, you were just peeling the onion on the Russia thing. If people are just tuning in, you're probably going to want to go back and listen to our podcast of this or our last podcast was number episode 97 at propagandareportdaily.com. The pro podcast of this show will be up sometime this week. And uh, and what we're talking about is what might really be behind the uh, whole Russia investigation um, and what Binkley kind of, I think, has a smoking gun pointing to the U.K. as having launched the PSYOP on us, which I believe because or I, I think is plausible because we have a lot of psychological operations handbooks that always say, cannot be used against domestic audiences. But what if you're the 
what if the UK has the exact same thing and they do us and we do them? You know what I mean? One one hand washes the other. So it's all yours, Binkley. All right. We had just played a clip of Sir Andrew Wood from 2015, who is a big player in the Russian dossier saga, saying he likes to break up countries. Now, this clip from 2015, he articulates very clearly what he believes the problem is that threatens the international order. Let's play clip 16. It is the evolution of uh, uh, Russia towards an authoritarian state under a small group determined to play by its own arbitrary rules that's the root cause of Russia's internal and external difficulties and, in consequence, the violence in Ukraine. Our problem is Russia. Dude, actually, one of the clips you played me was about them using arbitrary rules. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh, we can't play by normal rules because these guys don't deserve that. Because they're evil. (laughs) Right. A lot of these clips sound exactly like the way our media describes Trump today. Yes, and it goes to something I was saying earlier, which in order for us to make sense of why these foreigners are so evil, the, these these irrational madmen megalomaniacs run every single country that doesn't have English as its official language. Yeah. You know why? Because they're crazy. That's yeah. why. You don't even ask them. But we would bomb them if they did that. But he's crazy. He wants to be bombed. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and let's play clip 17. This is right, this guy's a little bit of that. Clip 17. Its bureaucracy is not just incompetent, but deeply corrupted. Its administration is, uh, the top of the administration is extremely small. It's a mystery to me and I think to many people who rarely advises Putin and whether political decisions are taken in a coherent uh, way. Um, the question whether Putin can change, I think it's more or less proved itself that he probably cannot. We must not be deluded by the idea that being nice, being polite, is the best policy. The best policy is to talk the truth. You could absolutely put Trump in for Putin in that script, which he's clearly reading, and just give it to Anderson Cooper. Again, that was 2015. This is the guy who is at the center of the Russian dossier saga. Yeah, that's what's so interesting is that he delivered the Russian dossier, which you pointed out, like Christopher Steele sounds like such a made up name for a spy. Like, who knows if this guy, if Andrew didn't just write it and attached a picture of an actor who looked like a spy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, so um, what's interesting? We've got a few, we've 45 seconds go. What's interesting about the paper that there, that this panel is based on, is that it lays out very clearly. Russian troll farms, cyber attacking, it lays out everything that they claim Russia did against us, and it says it in 2015, they say it in 2012, so either they are colluding or they just didn't warn us at all and left us out to dry. That's interesting, and I know you have more to say on that, so let's take a quick break. Um, I think this rabbit hole gets a little bit deeper, so we'll hear that 800 Talk at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6. And uh, at the top of the hour, I'm going to have Garland Favrito on from VoterGA.org. It's going to be a great hour. 
you got to listen to it. It's fascinating. Even if you tune in online and aren't in Georgia and aren't going to vote in the primaries this week, it's still fascinating on the fundamentals of this country and how his activism is changing my attitude towards voting. So let's get into that. Uh, Binkley has just some great stuff about uh, the deeper roots of the Russia issue here. I want to let him um, get through all his material. So we're going to do that uh, at a pretty quick pace. But I do want to give a minute to uh, a caller Sonny in East Point. Sonny, you're on with Monica. I'll give you one minute, and then i got to get back to Binkley. So go. Okay, Monica. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Go for it. Okay, I'm going to give you a little song here. I served in Korea in 1953, and i got a quick song for you. Go. Yep. Keep it clean. If you don't like the Monica Perez show, if you don't like the red, white, and blue, if you don't like the stars that are in old glory, well, buddy, I'm telling you that if you don't like the flag of freedom. If you don't like the way it's treating you, then get out, get out. Don't ever come back. Don't bite the hand that's feeding you. Okay. Wow, Sonny. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. And it was exactly a minute. I appreciate yes, I that. I tried to time it. That's... I have a lot to say about that because I'm 88 years old almost, and I served in Korea, and I was with all the big bands, Harry James, Dinah Shore, Jackie Gleason. So sometime I'll try to get in through to you and uh, tell you about some of that. Yeah, when I'm not in a super big hurry, my, my dad is of your generation, and he turned me on to some of that great music. He would love this show, but he's no longer with us. And uh, actually... At the little segment right before 5 o'clock, I'm going to play a clip from a uh, Ronald Reagan speech in 1964. It's also known as the speech, and I think it's right up your alley, Sonny. I think it's right in keeping with the theme of your song, which I really appreciate. I'm going to have to mark that. Maybe we'll play it in the future. Uh, Thank you. Okay, uh, Binkley. That was awesome. Yeah, that was was awesome. Well, well executed. All right. We were talking about Sir Andrew Wood, a central figure in the Russian dossier saga who likes to break up countries. This is a clip of him from 2015 where he is explaining the importance of aligning policy with the U.S. This is clip 19. Putin's absolute obsession with the United States as in some divine sense the analog to to, to Russia – uh, is, makes it very important that we maintain a transatlantic dialogue and an effective alignment of policies towards Russia. So he's talking about how important it is to get the U.S. on board with their policy, which you have pointed out is exactly what happens before world wars in Europe that drag us into it. And people will defend World War II, but don't forget it started with World War I, and and 
the people here, there was a battle between England and Germany to get the U.S. in on one side or the other. And there was a major psychological warfare operation conducted by the British. Sir Gilbert Parker led it, and he wrote in letters back to the Wellington House about how gullible Americans were. We're falling for. It was really the dawn of modern propaganda. And Laswell, a political scientist, wrote that the biggest trick of that war was convincing Americans to think that propaganda was something that only came from the evil Germans as opposed to the as opposed to from the Allies. You agree with us or you're evil? That that theme is recurring. Okay, let's go. Go, right, go, go. Uh, this next clip is from this is a man named Keir Giles, also from uh, the Chatham or Chatham, Chatham House. <laughs> And, uh, that's my job is to teach right, you how to say I, I say it wrong every time. Yeah, but, that's good. Um, he's speaking about what we just need to learn to live with when it comes to Russia. This is clip 20. Europe and the United States do need instead to learn to live with the fundamental incompatibility of worldview and strategic aspirations between Russia and the West, which will lead to further confrontation in the frontline states. Accommodation of Russia will now, as it always has done, make matters worse, not better. It's going to be worse to get along with them. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's keep 2015. Going. I'm going to keep repeating that. Yeah, let's keep going because if you listen to what right. they're saying, it's all hostility, aggression, offense. All right. Okay, here they explain some of their goals. This is clip 22. Helping Ukraine improving Western security, reinventing the EU's Eastern partnership, finding ways to call, uh, communicate with the Russian people separate from the way we treat the Russian regime. I mean, I have to comment on that real quick. Yeah. Treating the Russian people, communicating with the Russian people mm -hmm. separate from the Russian regime is targeting a foreign population for propaganda, which is what we're accusing them of doing to us. It's what James Clapper called for the USIA, which was run by Tucker Carlson's dad, on steroids to propagandize foreign countries. Now, this is prior to Russia supposedly doing this to us. And then he also says reinvent EU Eastern policy, which would be a direct violation of the negotiation that George Bush the first made with Gorbachev, was it, uh, in bringing down the Berlin Wall. The only promise was let the Warsaw Pact countries go. We will use that as a buffer zone. We will not incorporate them into NATO. And I believe everyone or almost every single one has since been incorporated into NATO. That is aggression. And what he's saying, another thing he's saying by saying – just talk about Putin and speak differently to the Russian people is that's he's describing a demonization campaign. Oh, nice. Which we see with Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always linked to Putin. But here's where it gets aggressive, I think, because we talked on the break about what order you're going to play these clips in. So I think it's getting aggressive. OK. Yeah. Uh, here he explains. I think he's talking about the right mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Clip 23. 23. We must not be deluded by the idea that being nice, being polite, is the best policy. The best policy is to talk the truth. But if the, if talking the truth is the opposite of being nice and polite, I mean, that's antagonism. I mean, I'm not saying his idea of truth. It was just like the other guy in one of the clips. I'm not sure we played it today. Keir Giles saying 
their idea of peace is victory. But that's always been our, you know, these are euphemistic terms. It's newspeak, but it's it is equally valid in the West in that they call truth anything that promotes their agenda. And he writes about the, ne- the necessity of using political expediency towards Russia and in, in solving these goals. Where does, uh, when does he say that? He says that in 2012 because they've been talking about doing this. Oh, for a long wow. Time. That's, in, that's in one of the things you read, right? Yeah. Yeah. When they talk about expediency and pragmatism, they're talking about using not, not the real rules. Not, and, and they accuse those guys of, not fo- that, of operating by their own set of rules, yet they are operating by – whenever they say expediency and pragmatism, that means the rules – the standards go out the window. Yeah, what we're hearing is the description of a, a psychological warfare campaign. And this On is us. 2000, no, yeah, towards us and towards Russia. Right. All right, so this next clip is Sir Andrew Wood again from 2015. Right, let's just hear it. 20, clip 25. Diplomacy without force, moral force included, or economic force included, but a degree of persuasive ability... Uh, is is not going to succeed. Diplomacy without force is not going to succeed. Is that and this is before all this stuff happened? Yeah. You know, is that the kind of talk that that you think is going to promote good behavior? Even if Russia is doing all this stuff, which I'm not convinced at all. I don't care if their IP addresses say Russia. I mean, I've personally witnessed uh, a cyber attack that came from. I believe I witnessed a cyber attack. That came from every single country in the world. So obviously it wasn't, you know, 200 different entities. It was bouncing around to be undetectable. Yeah. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into it, but I did witness. It was very cool. I mean, it was horrible for the people who were being attacked, but it was interesting to watch. (laughs) I prayed for the victims. Um, Okay. We got a couple of minutes. What else you got? Okay. We have a couple more clips. Let's go ahead and play clip 21. The problem of respecting Russia as a great power, spilling over into a temptation to respect Russia's self-defined security interests, while, as you said, at the same time preserving our values. Unfortunately, that's not possible because the two are entirely incompatible. Put very simply, we want peace, they want victory. And this is the reason why, at the moment, we are unable to offer them anything in terms of political dialogue, which is meaningful from the other side. Okay. He ridicules them for having self-defined security interests. I literally cannot think of anything more ridiculous than suggesting that unseating the government of Syria, who is fighting ISIS, will help us fight ISIS, that first we have to fight the guys fighting ISIS, and then we can fight ISIS, because that's in our self-defined national security interest. So who gets to define their own? You know what I mean? Aren't, aren't they, by definition, self-defined? Or is it like North Korea? Hey, if you put all your stuff away, we'll tell you what's in your interest. Oh, that's a great idea. He says that they can't they have they're going to have a policy of not respecting russia's own self defense interest and they're emphasizing how our strategy towards russia needs to be that exact same thing don't respect russia's interest at all yeah i mean these are acts of hostility i agree uh, 
I think we have time for one more, then we're going to go to a break, and then I'm going to start changing gears to get ready for Garland. I'm going to play a clip for Sonny he's going to love of Ronald Reagan coming out. So after the break, I want people to listen for that. Um, but give us one more, and then we'll, we'll take a break. All right, let's play clip 24. Russia's reaction with its neighbors has now reverted to its default settings. 2014 wasn't abnormal. It's actually the previous 25 years that were out of character for Russia uh, while the, the period while their resources didn't match their enduring intentions and aspirations. I've given a lot of thought to that clip because you did play that for me the other day. And some people wonder, like, how that Reagan... I've heard this theory that Reagan screwed things up by letting the Berlin Wall fall, by letting the communism actually be defeated because it was this bogeyman we needed to keep defense spending high and all that kind of stuff. And and then as soon as we freed them from that iron grip of detente, they wanted to go capitalist, which I think we foiled. I think Clinton and Yeltsin foiled that. And now this guy is saying, oh. We were totally wrong. They're super, super bad. Let's uh, bring all that stuff back because we need to control the world, spend, whatever. Uh, I want to, just before we break, flag a word that you will see more and more. It's I never saw this word before in my life. It was in the Wall Street Journal uh, called irredentism, I-R-R-E-D-E-N-T-I-S-M, irredentism. It's, it's what they use to talk about Russia trying to suck back countries that used to be in its political sphere but aren't anymore like Crimea or I guess it's supposed to be a parallel with like Hitler going into the Sudetenland and Silesia and stuff. That is a major theme in every single Chatham House paper and almost everything Sir Andrew Wood writes. Oh well I'll let you talk about that after we take this break and then hear um, an inspirational Reagan clip. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Wow that was intense. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. That uh, was a speech. Well, first of all, the content of that speech I'd pulled before Sonny called, I pulled this clip uh, about the relationship of man to government okay i'm a i'm an anarcho-capitalist i actually have lost any faith that a coercive monopoly government with a monopoly on the use of force can ever be self-limiting however i uh i think the move towards tearing down borders um is actually going in the other direction it's meant to build up world government so i would like to kick the can on the american experiment for as long as possible and try to keep it together uh so i've decided to try to be less negative and more positive and boy have i found uh the right partner in that so i am going to talk to garland favorito next and you're going to love it, so stay tuned. This is Monica Perez. Please, take my hand. 
Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, talking about the most important issue of the week, our story of the week, or stories of the week. And this week we have the primaries, the uh, primaries here in Georgia. But uh, even I know a lot of people listen on the Internet, including my mom, hi, mom, um, and my sisters. Uh, I want... What we're about to talk about um, is local, but it has such far-reaching implications for our entire system. Uh, So I love to have this guest on. I rarely, rarely have guests, and uh, I only do so if I think it can really make a difference locally. So this guest is the uh, founder or one of the founders of VoterGA.org, Garland Favorito. Hi, Garland. How are you doing? Monica, thank you. It's an honor to be back on your show again. I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you talk about things that no other show talks about, and I'm really grateful to both you and WSB for letting that happen. Oh, yes, I know. They they, they let it happen. It doesn't always happen, but they let it happen. I want You know what I've never done before, Garland, and um, I have so many things that I want to pick your brain over. I literally have a list of like 10 things. So I um, I just want a sentence or two on anything that can be boiled down into a sentence or two. Can you tell me um, just briefly what is your background and, and what is Voter GA and why do you do it? Yeah, I sure can. And then I have some interesting things about the Russians that we were talking about. That's great. Let's launch right into that. Tell us about yourself uh, but, and then let's go. Yeah, so my background is I'm an information technology professional. I have uh, specialized in a variety of disciplines, uh, business systems analysis, data administration, and uh, information security. Um, And uh, as you said, I'm co-founder of VoterGA, which was founded back in 2006. And that's a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, all volunteer. Um, And uh, we uh, do different legal things from time to time, as, um, and that's kind of our, our focus in trying to hold um, government officials accountable and you uh, to, get, to the law. And, and uh, I had a, a guest on, for the same reason, the local important organization, Georgia Carey. Uh, Jerry Henry is the, I, I think he's the founder. Um, and he said that he brought their organization brought Georgia, you would have thought Georgia gun laws were always great, but they brought him from, I think, like in a national ranking from 44th to 3rd because of their hard work. And I feel like, uh, I think your your goal was to bring Georgia from worst to first. And I, I want to help you. I know, and you've been very, very helpful, Monica, in getting the word out and everything that we're trying to do. So I, I, I really, really appreciate that. And it's it's an insurmountable task probably to get from worst to first, but if we could even get halfway up the list, that would be a tremendous improvement. Well, that's great, and I'm going to. Anytime you have a serious call to action for the listener, I want you to come tell us about it. And, and I have to say the reason I'm interested, I am very cynical when it comes to government, uh, and I realize that part of the reason, and I'm willing to compromise 
I, I don't believe in the territorial monopoly of the use of force, but I'm willing to compromise if the if we really were abiding by the American experiment, the Bill of Rights and the system of government that we have and and upholding those rights and protections. I would I would consent to that, actually. But there are two big reasons I don't like the um, I have no faith is that one that looks like the candidates are all selected for us by. Um, you know, big money and big media. And then the other part is that I really have no faith that who we elect actually is the person who takes office. So I feel like if we could restore some election integrity, I might feel like that is a positive step that we can actually take to try to restore um, the potential of uh, the American experiment. That's my favorite. Uh, exactly. And you, you explained that so well on your show about the American experiment being history. And uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, I think you're right on both counts. That's exactly what we need to do. Yeah, so we got to do something. I, I complain a lot, and, uh, and I, I want to start doing something. So let's do it. But what are your thoughts on the Russian topic? Yeah, so I, I have some uh, information that I think dovetails so well with what your first segments. And, and basically, uh, I'm in touch with all of the election integrity advocates around the country. Um, we don't have any evidence that the Russian government manipulated election results. I know of no evidence that exists in that regard. What There is evidence um, that the Russian government may have manipulated public opinion, but so has the CIA. If you remember back in the church committee um, in the late 70s, they found that the CIA had 200 media assets to manipulate public opinion. Operation Mockingbird. So, that's exactly right. So what I'm fascinated is that all of this emphasis is on um, Russia, but not on uh, the domestic manipulation of public opinion that uh, is happening from the CIA through the news media. Yeah, the fox in the hen house. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing that we do know, and we, we and I talked about just briefly, was that there were individuals from apparently from Russia and other countries, as you were saying, the IP addresses may show that, and they hacked into the uh, voter registration databases in certain states. So uh, that, though, was primarily for identity theft, because like in our case in Georgia, the uh, voter registration information was wide open for anyone to hack in, and that included the names, addresses, and social security numbers of all 6.7 million voters in the state of Georgia. So this is what I want to talk to you about. I, I, when I hear they hacked into voter registration data, I think that it is for identity theft purposes, but there's a Another uh, potential of abuse, which actually affects the election directly, which is when they they hack into actual election data. And I I have to say, I didn't really um, understand the seriousness when I heard the stories about what happened at Kennesaw State. And the last time you were on, you did tell us about that in depth, uh, about an audit that you did on that. Is it possible for you to just recap in a couple of sentences that and then tell us about the development of this week? pertaining to that and we have like four minutes to do it to to try to sum that up um the elections our elections data was left exposed on a public web server for what appears to be years election Um, data not voter registration data 
Well, actually both. Right. So that's a great point. So it was the we talked about last time. It was all the voter registration database, the elections databases. There were files that had supervisor passwords in it, in them uh, documents. They had instructions on how to uh, update uh, databases and all kinds of executables that you could use to hack and manipulate an election all sitting on a public web server and just to since a lot of folks are not in the technology business that is such a no-no because you always put your critical election data on an application server behind a firewall and you only put what you want the public to see on a public web server they should never be commingled and you uh, so, yeah got it. Mm -hmm. I And it sounds to me, uh, according to this week's developments, that you think that was beyond negligent and actually criminal, correct? Well, that's right. So we were appalled uh, at what had happened, and it appeared to be that the Center for Election Systems uh, was the culprit in that, and that I want to try to distinguish between them and Kennesaw State University because the Center for Election Systems is a separate unit that operates under contract between the Secretary of State's office and Kennesaw State. They uh, are essentially working for Kennesaw State, but they report to the Secretary of State's office. So the Secretary of State should have had oversight on all these Center for Election Systems. That's their job, right? That's the job of the Secretary of State. Well, exactly. Uh, that's exactly right. That's their job. So, um, the, so Kennesaw State was actually helpful in trying to close this breach that we, that, or the vulnerabilities that uh, existed, and they didn't get a whole lot of cooperation from the Center for Election Systems. And as we delved deeper into it in the last couple of weeks, we realized that the responsibility of this goes back to the Secretary of State. Um, so I can walk you through, uh, and this what we believe uh, were uh, a series of events that, uh, oversight events that the Secretary of State should have been uh, involved in and overseeing. And those, when you compile them all together, they lead to what we believe to be criminal negligence. Um, just to give you a few examples, um, Secretary Kemp allowed this critical elections data, as I mentioned, to be exposed on a public web server for what we believe to be years. And it may even predate uh, Brian Kemp, too, even before he, he took office in 2010. Um, and when this data was discovered and the story broke in March, um, he did not conduct a, a breach assessment to determine who had hacked in and what, what, what the damage might have been. That would have been the standard procedure to, to, to do at that point in time. Uh, they didn't have any backups of the election data. Um, and then when they found that out and got the data server back from the FBI, who had, the Kansas State had turned it over to them to investigate, when they, they still did not make a backup of the data when they got the, the data back, and then they set, a, uh, set about to destroy the election's data um, and in direct uh, conflict with the data retention policies of the Secretary of State's office. Okay, and so i gotta, I got to take a break, but so they actually destroyed their data, so now we do not have the data and cannot conduct forensics on if the election itself was hacked. We will never know that, correct? 
Exactly. We should. We'll probably never know that. Okay. And, and I, after the break, I want to ask you a couple of questions. One about uh, what you did this week in response to that, and there's something really fascinating about why there isn't really a paper trail about how and why decisions were made. That's very interesting to me. So uh, let's just hang on. I'm going to take a quick break. This is Monica Perez um, and Brad Binkley hosting Garland Favorito from VoterGA.org as our special guest local activist today. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Here with Garland Favrito, our uh, local election integrity activist, and uh, he just always has so much stuff I want to know that I'm going to launch right back into it. Garland, we were just talking about the election um, irregularities. We're not going to recap it again. If you want to listen to the podcast of this show, go to PropagandaReportDaily.com. It'll be up in a couple of days, commercial-free, um, but... but uh, you found election irregularities, and what did you do this week in response to that? Because you are a man of action. Well, this week, a group of citizens, Monica, filed a criminal complaint, and actually a series of five criminal complaints, against Secretary Kemp. Um, this is not a legal suit. This is a criminal complaint, which we've turned over to the Public Integrity Unit of the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Uh, there are five uh, charges that we um, have put in there, uh, and we have legal citations, ten different legal citations, and um, uh, dozens of potential violations of, of Georgia law, along with all the what we call the uh, irrefutable facts. Um, so, the, but the five charges we are uh, one that Secretary Kemp was criminally negligent in exposing and destroying the Georgia election data. There's more to that we can come back and talk about in a minute um, because we think there's a cover up there. Um, he uh, used his website last year to promote his gubernatorial campaign, uh, which is a direct violation of Georgia law. He had Facebook and Twitter links on the Secretary of State's website paid for at taxpayers' expense to link to his, his gubernatorial campaign pages and social media. Then he also illegally changed uh, mandated ballot language in a SPLOS ref referendum by putting promotional language on there to try to get it passed a few years ago. Uh, he's never been able to explain why that was not a violation of law. And uh, just recently he personally threatened an elector um, which is also another violation of law. You know, you can you can threaten organizations, but not personal electors. So uh, that was a little bit bizarre. And if you sum all this up, you've got multiple violations of oath of office because when you take the oath, you are uh, sworn to uphold Georgia law. Right, hold that and thought. Hold that thought. You said a couple of things I absolutely have to pick up on. Um, we got to take a break, and then I want to talk about the cover-up. Uh, the SPLOS thing, sounds like that's corruption, and uh, and evidence of a blackout is what I wanted to talk about also. After the break, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man A man On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I do not like to share my time because I never have enough time to talk about what I want to talk about. And now i got to share it with Binkley anyway. Always brings clips. And then, I mean, I just like, 
I'm getting stepped on all over the place. So when I bring somebody on, you know it's because I absolutely have to hear what he has to say, and he is proving highly worthwhile. I've got Garland Favorito, my favorite uh, election integrity activist here in Georgia, telling us a fascinating story about what really – well, a, a story that continues to unfold about the election irregularities. We heard the story about it was out of Kennesaw State. It's not really that. It was more out of the Secretary of State's office, looks like. Um, and we were uh, So, Garland, where we were in the story before we had to take a break was you filed a lawsuit. You very quickly, thankfully and interestingly, um, ticked off the five things that uh, it was all against the Secretary of State, Brian Kemp. Is that correct? All those charges well, were against him personally? Uh, that's well, right. But, uh, Monica, that's correct. But it was actually not a lawsuit. It was a oh, criminal sorry. complaint. Yes, with the DA uh, of Fulton County. That's right. Exactly. Um, yes. So it's not a civil matter. This is we believe it's criminal. Right. And uh, we, we hope to take this to a grand jury and let the grand jury decide if uh, we are right or not. And then that way, you know, if they think that we're right, then that means they should conduct an investigation. Who has the power to make that decision of whether or not it's investigated? Well, the DA? Uh, the, the, the district attorney will, public integrity unit will uh, have to investigate this as near as I can tell because they have jurisdiction because uh, the crimes committed in Fulton County, the, what we're alleging happened in Fulton County, that's where the Secretary of State's office is. So uh, they uh, should be obliged to present this evidence with our help to a grand jury, and then the grand jury should determine whether or not to indict Crump for uh, uh, Mr. Kemp for. Garland, would you would you be willing to take a call? I have a caller if I can. Alicia, is it possible for Joel to talk and for us to also have Garland respond or not? Yeah, I'd be glad. All right. Okay, let's I'll try to make it quick, but I feel like I like to get audience feedback in real time in case we're missing anything or if somebody disagrees or um, if people have questions. So let's go to Joel. Let's try to keep it quick. Joel, what you got? Hey, Monica, I'll be quick. Uh, Garland, I was wondering, uh, you know, we had the uh, hacking, and it seems to lead back to the uh, CIA. So as far as the destruction of voter registration of materials and things like that, would that be uh, a CIA-type deal? I I think, can I just say, Joel, I think it was the Homeland Security thing. Are you talking about when Kemp came out and said— Absolutely, that's what I'm talking about, Monica. Yeah, okay, Garland, let's uh, let's hear that answer. Joel, I'm going to put you on hold. Yeah, right. So we talked about that, Michael, it was a little bit um, earlier, but there was the, it was a, basically a diversion. So the Homeland Security may have uh, been testing and, and they may have uh, actually done what Brian Kemp said in, t- in trying to uh, hack in or at least test the, the security. But the issue is not the Homeland Security. The issue is that the election data was sitting wide open on a server for years for anybody to hack in and change elections undetectable to a county elections director. So really was that perhaps, because I thought he was a hero for exposing that, and I thought he took that heroic stature to launch his gubernatorial campaign, but uh, there's a possibility that they were probing different election systems to find weaknesses and found them. Uh, that's my understanding. It, it's, you're right. It's still not completely clear. 
Um, but it just isn't really relevant to the exposure of our data and the destruction of it that occurred at Kennesaw State. Okay, I have so much more to talk to you about. I'm going to take one more call, if you're willing, Garland. Sure. And, uh, and then I, I got I to gotta tick off some of this other stuff. Okay, Tom. Okay. Tom, you're on with Garland. Go. Uh, Garland, I have to say that uh, this sure smells of politics, the timing of your fi- filing charges and all this with with uh-huh. yeah, that's for governor and, okay. and you. Yeah. I'm gonna, thank you, Tom. I got it. I'm going to okay. put you on hold, and I want to hear Garland's answer. Right. That's a fair question. Uh, that's a good question, and we've been asked that several times. So let me explain that. The uh, Georgia Elections Data Audit that we – released. We just released that two weeks ago. When we found out that there was incredible uh, evidence that we had no idea, I mean, we, had, we have done hundreds of, of open records requests um, over the past uh, few, few uh, months, and we finally put it all together. We were actually still doing open records requests in the last couple of weeks on this. So we wanted to hurry this out before it got more political. We were concerned that if we wait and, you know, Brian Kemp is in a runoff with um, Casey Cagle, it's going to look like we were supporting Casey Cagle. If, we, if he wins the nomination uh, and we bring it out then, it's going to uh, look like we were supporting uh, the Democrats. So we tried to get it out in, uh, while the, pub, the primary is still going on so that the Republicans can clean up their own act before they go into the runoff. Very good answer, Garland, because I was wondering uh, if, if you got it out as soon as you could. If you just got it out as soon as you could, I would see that that, you know, what else are you going to do? But um, well, Right, and I think what people understand, most of these allegations do go back to 2017, so the, the caller is correct. However, what they don't understand is the amount of research that went into this audit report that we released. Oh. Yes. Uh, months of research. Yes, that's what's interesting to me is that you got you drew a response from the Kemp campaign, right? I, do you remember that quote? I, I think. Yes, I do. Uh, uh, and this really disturbs me even more because instead of just simply coming out and saying, "Here's where we are wrong," that's what we want to do. We want the grand jury to tell us where we're wrong, and Brian Kemp could do that too. But instead, his campaign uh, manager had attacked me personally for the second time, uh, Ryan Mahoney, the first thing he did is he tried to single me out. Uh, well, this was a group of five individuals who signed on it, and there were lots of people who wanted to sign on to it, and they, were, they wanted more and more people wanted to get on it So because they were so upset about it. So basically he said uh, they refused to comment on uh, insane, baseless, um, accusations by a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist who has too much time on his hands. Which I have so, to say, what's crazy about that accusation is that what you put out is just reams and reams of facts. Exactly. It's not baseless so, conspiracy theory, and it takes a ton of time, which is why nobody else does it. They want you to not do it. They want you to not. You don't have the time on your hands. You're committing the time. Uh, well, exactly. I'd rather be taking vacation, you know, off in somewhere. Rio yeah, someplace. do nothing. Have a cocktail. Yeah, but what we we had to come out with this because the Secretary of State conducted an investigation in the, into this, and they issued a two-page report to investigate what we think is the greatest 
potential election fraud case in Georgia history, a two-page report that was uh, implemented uh, uh, or completed in three days. And back on October 26th, when Brian Kemp found out about this, he said it, the, this was reckless behavior, inexcusable conduct, gross incompetence, undeniable ineptitude. Four days later, he produces a report saying that the, the destruction of the data was standard procedure. So essentially what that report said, it was standard procedure to destroy the data without any backup in violation of the Secretary of State's data retention policies and without doing a breach assessment. Um, I mean, it's just, it was... And it took you months covered. to investigate it, right? So take them a couple well, of days. This is the officials. Right. We had to do a 15-page report to investigate that two-page report. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, and because some of the things, just to give you an example of what was wrong with Secretary of State Kemp's report, uh, it failed to follow standard election investigation procedures whatsoever. And then it failed to investigate uh, why the data was destroyed, why without a backup, why it was exposed in the first place for years, why they didn't do a breach assessment when they found out about it, and why did they delete it in, in uh, direct conflict with the data retention policies of the Secretary of State's office. Well, here's something I have to say in response to that, and then I want to move on to another topic, which is this. I, when I first read all that uh, or came to understand that, I thought, well, surely we can get to the answers of this because there are going to be emails out of the Secretary of State's office directing this stuff. And we're, we're going, I mean, just a basic transparency, we're going to be able to see what happened, when and why. And, and why do we not have that? Oh, that's a great point, uh, Michael. So when we got into filing all these hundreds of open records requests, um, we found out that Kennesaw State produced an after-action report to try to shut down some of the vulnerabilities and uh, some of the things that we're supposed to, you know, what we call standard best practices. Um, that report was pretty good. It was done by Kennesaw State University, not the Center for Election Systems. But in that report, there was an action item to format and reinstall the uh, exposed web server on an isolated network. That alone would not have been so bad, which essentially destroys the data. But the uh, director of IT there at Kennesaw State routed that over to the two directors in Center for Election Systems, and he says, please review this report. Uh, they never reviewed it. Uh, there's no evidence that anyone in the Secretary of State's office reviewed it. There's almost of hundreds of emails. There's only uh, a handful, probably less than six, of communications between the Secretary of State's office and the Center for Election Systems or Kennesaw State on this. And uh, we found out that the uh, verbally that the uh, Kennesaw State people were told not to send anything in email to the Secretary of State's office, that they should only call them first before they send them any email. So that's why almost no emails exist. Uh, I mean, that's outrageous. This is, uh, this is about election integrity. These are our servants. And, and this is how I want to uh, – I over-understanding this, I, we have to take a break. But I, in understanding all this, I begin to really understand why um, it lo the, the Secretary of State position is so important. And I feel going into the primary this week, I would love I, – I, I feel like you're nonpartisan. I don't even know what 
uh, party, if any you prefer. Um, and I know you have kind of across the board assessment of the Secretary of State race. I'd like to hear that. I'm going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to have to talk fast, though, because I knew we'd be running out of time with you, Garland. Uh, this is Monica Perez. Stay tuned. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Garland Favrito with us. He is the election integrity expert here in Georgia. And I want to know if you, Garland, in two minutes flat, can give us a, a comprehensive assessment of the Secretary of State race as uh, it's going on for the May 22nd primary. That's this week. Go. Okay, so um, the secretary, we're, we're always upset about Secretary of State's office because candidates use this to run for governor, and they just use it as a parking place, and they never do the actual job. We've seen it with Kathy Cox, Karen Handel, and, and Brian Kemp. So on the Republican side, there's four candidates running. Uh, David Bellow, the mayor of, Atlanta, of Alpharetta, has never been to a state election board meeting, never been to a science and technology meeting, never been to uh, an election legislative meeting. Uh, he's never reached out to me, even though he knows me pretty well, and uh, he's never seen my presentation. He really does not understand the elections uh, aspects of, of the Secretary of State's office, nor does Brad Raffensperger. And in fairness, uh, I hate to, to pick on him because he lost his son recently, but most of these guys appear to me to be simply wanting to park at the Secretary of State's office for eight years and then run for governor. Uh, so that leaves you on the Republican side with Buzz Brockway and Josh McCoon. Buzz has uh, basically opposed almost everything we have done down there in the House. Um, he would not prohibit unverifiable voting. We tried to uh, outlaw the um, votes hidden in barcodes, which is unverifiable. That's the new, the new wave of unverifiable voting. We couldn't get Buzz to go along with that. We did get uh, Josh McCoon to do that over, and the whole Senate Ethics Committee. And they put some language into their bill, which was great. Uh, didn't quite do what we expected, but that was our fault. So uh, I was on a panel this week, um, this just actually just to earlier today, and with conservatives around the uh, entire North Metro area, all counties, and they were we were all unanimous for uh, Josh McCoon for on the Republican side. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, basically the Democrats have announced, have basically anointed John Barrow. Uh, John, I'm encouraged with uh, because he suggested in his debate to decertify the machines. Right now, use optical scan surplus machines to conduct elections. We can do that. Um, that is, uh, we can do that. We could fund those out of my retirement account. They're so cheap. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, the House Republicans are saying they have to pass legislation, which is flat not true. Um, on the libertarian side, Smite Dufal will be the libertarian candidate. I'm very encouraged with him as well because Smite actually came to my presentation and decided to run for Secretary of State after seeing what was wrong, and he's done a great job of educating himself. So he's going to be a factor. So assuming That's it. that it... Time's yeah, up, Garland. I think... I think you got it done. Thank you so okay. much. I knew it would take the whole hour to pick your brain, and I still have half of my questions left. So um, I'm going to get you back on during this is a big election year in Georgia. You're going to be my guy. Thank you very much for listening. This is Monica Perez with the great help of Brad Binkley, and you can get the podcast on PropagandaReportDaily.com. Thank you.